The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series in 1 John. For previous messages or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and grab them. We're going to be in 1 John this morning. Um, But before we get there, uh, I want to take a moment for a little bit of, uh, of business. Uh, so here at Stone Oak Bible Church, our, uh, our mission is simply put to make disciples. That's why we're here. That's, that's, that's why we do what we do. That's why all of this is done, is we want to make disciples for Jesus. It's what Jesus himself told us to be about, and, and that's what we are about. Now, that's our mission, make disciples. Our strategy, in other words, how we are going to actually do that. Uh, we boil down into three simple words, and that is this, gather, scatter, and multiply. Gather, scatter, and multiply. We believe that if we do this, that we will make disciples of Jesus Christ. So that's what we give ourselves to. We gather, we scatter, and, and we multiply. So gather, let's look at that one for a moment. Um, we believe in this, and we believe it's important. It's what we are doing right now. That we don't want to be a church who doesn't value what we're doing right now. That we want to come together as a church because we believe that, um, that God has set us all apart and has called us together as the family. And we don't want to be a church that just ignores that and doesn't know. We want to come together and we believe it's vital. And so we gather big like this. So we come together on weekends. We gather big. We also gather small. So our community groups, this is why we do all of those things, because we think it is important uh, to gather. Now, let's talk about multiply, and you're going to say you miss scatter. I'm coming back to it. Um, multiply uh, is huge. Uh, we determine our health here at Stone Oak Bible Church, not by our seating capacity, but our sending capacity. Um, we, we believe that if any vision we have is limited to how many we can sit here, that that's not big enough. Uh, in fact, no matter how, if God chooses to, to allow us to grow and have a bigger place to sit people, that is not our, our mission objective is not to fill seats, it's to send. That we want to be a sending uh, church. And in fact, if you're here you're involved in sending, in multiplying. Either you're, you're sending or you're going, one of the two. But, but we believe in multiplication, uh, and we believe in multiplying ourselves on a personal level. In other words, we need to be sharing our faith with someone and multiplying this on a personal level. We believe this on a community group level. So we have several community groups. Get this. I don't know if you realize this. We have 80 people right now at Stone Oak Bible Church in community groups together. That happens because we multiply, and we make, we make multiplication um, something we talk about all the time. But more than that, on a church level, we believe in multiplication. That's why in 2017, we will be, by the grace of God, launching a, a church, starting a new church in a different area of our city. So uh, Mike, who was up here earlier, is actually our church planter in residence, and We'll, we'll get to this later. I could talk all, all morning about this, but we will eventually be sending him out. And how cool is it? And then about a year, let's just say a year, it's, we'll deal with it anyway. Like I said, I could talk about this all morning. Um, 
there will be, while we're worshiping Jesus here, there's going to be a church meeting across our city who's worshiping Jesus there too. That is impact. That is exponential impact. We believe in this, and um, that's multiplication. We want it to be a mark of our church. Now, let's talk about the one that, I'm, that I skipped, scatter. Uh, I want to put all of my cards on the table here for a moment. Um, as I've been praying, God, how would you have us grow as a church? And I'm not talking numerically. Uh, I'm talking in, in depth, and I'm talking in health. How, how can we grow? As I've been praying about that, um, I feel over and over and over again, God pointing me to that middle word of scatter, that we need to be about scatter, equipping the church to be about the mission, um, that, honestly, we have an army here at Stone Oak Bible Church, and it's like God has been saying, send them out of the base, send them out of the base. So um, he's just to continue to remind me that we as the church are not a building, We're not a service, we're not a place, we are a people, people who scatter on his his mission, that we are actually the plan to impact our community. This is not, like this little, you know, hour window of our week is not the plan to reach our community. We, as the church, are the the plan, and so we, we scatter. So we started to make great plans. We have great things coming, just, but that's not what I'm talking about this morning, but we have great things coming that we're going to scatter together as a church. But God had another plan. Uh, The middle of this week, it was Wednesday. uh, I don't remember what time. I think it was later on Wednesday. I got a really disturbing email uh, from our school district. It was from actually the NEISD district offices. And in the first line was written in red, notice of cancellation for Sunday, March 6th. that's like a 10-day notice, I think. I, I haven't done the math on that, but that's not cool. And so um, I would love to lie to you right now and tell you that as I got that news, I was, we got this. God is good. You know? But I went into a little bit of a panic mode, just a little bit, um, just for a moment. You know? And I started immediately calling every place in our city. Every place in our city, every venue, outdoor, indoor, thinking outside the box, but doors were being closed because the response was like, well, it's a little late. We got that reserved. Or um, we have a big enough crowd that it makes doing this at a last-minute notice kind of, kind of difficult. So we were exploring every option, and, and like a ton of bricks, though, on Thursday morning, uh, like a ton of bricks, this, I was just reminded, God doesn't make mistakes God does not make mistakes, and as fun as it was to be in panic mode, which I was um, for a while, maybe, just maybe, I should stop and ask God, what would you have us to do? This didn't catch you off guard. What would you have us to do? Uh, What would you have us? And um, so in that moment, you can probably guess the word that came to my mind, scatter. And... uh, some of you are, are here and you're like, what in the world is he about to ask us to do? Relax and breathe. That was a nervous laugh. Um, relax and breathe. Uh, here is the plan. Next Sunday, March 6th, we are going to have our first ever church in the park. Uh, church in the park. And we are, here's what it's, how it's going to work. We're going to meet at 10 a.m. at McAllister Park. 
McAllister Park, 10 a.m. We are going to enjoy ourselves together, just as the church in the park. We're going to eat together. That's awesome. We'll have a couple of uh, uh, grill masters making that happen. So we're going to have church in the park. And some of you are like, can that count as church? Yes and no. Um, here's how this is going to, to work. So we all have people in our life, all of us, who would never come to this place. We all have people in our life that, honestly, you would be terrified to ask to come to this place. And we all have those. Um, but they'd probably come to a park with you. You'd probably come to that. So here's the challenge this week. This is going to be a week of scattering for us as a church. A week of scattering where we pray for God to put on us who we should invite to come. Uh, now, we're going to use this Sunday as a tool, but hear me. This is not a bait and switch kind of tactic where we're going to get them to come to come for a hot dog, you get Jesus. We're not going to do that. This is going to be a very simple, we come, we enjoy each other, we enjoy the park um, with your friends, your family, your coworkers, whoever, um, and get to introduce them to some of the people you love at our church. And here's the reason why this is important. We're praying that God would open the doors because we are approaching the one weekend a year, the, the biggest weekend of the year for churches. Easter Sunday is coming. And here's what this means. More people are willing to come to an Easter service than any other service, period, any other, any other service. And this could be the front door for that service. This could be the front door that God uses. Um, I promise you, we are preaching a very straightforward gospel message on Easter morning. It's intentional. It's going to be very straightforward. And this could be an open door for so many people to hear that message. This will not work if we don't scatter as a church. Um, I am praying that we would all just... Lean in together and pray, God, who would you have me invite to the park? It's the least intimidating thing I could ask you to do. You just come to the park. Um, who would you have me bring your family, bring your dogs, and come enjoy church in the park uh, next weekend? Now, some of you are going to be upset with me because uh, this is not what we're supposed to be about as the church, right? We, we rally around God's word, worship, communion. This is what the... And to you, I say amen. If you have been here for any amount of time, I hope that you know that that is our heartbeat, that we rally up around those things. We hold those things central, absolutely central. Um, we value these things. We don't neglect these things. But we also acknowledge that we are the church even if we're not here. We are the church even though we are scattered and um, we scatter for his glory, for his purpose. Some of you are also thinking, ugh, this is really outside of my comfort zone. I don't want to do this. I like coming here. And, and to you, I, that's, that's okay. It's okay. Um, I want to challenge you and encourage you, though, to pray for someone, just one, that God would put on your heart to invite them to come. 
to church in the park. Um, that God would use you as the open door. Some of you are just here, and if you're honest, you're like, this is awesome. Are you telling me we get to go to the park next week and eat hot dogs and have an awesome time? Sign me up. Yes, but we scatter this week, right? We scatter this week, and we pray that God would use us. Um, and our church is going to be represented next week at McAllister Park, which is pretty, I think, pretty cool. Uh, but here's my prayer, that God would use us as his tool to bring someone to himself. Church, if one person, one person in this room does this, imagine the impact. Now imagine if five, now imagine if we all do it, the impact that God could have. Um, I just want you to, to lean in, and when we... I'll put it like this. Um, get ready, because when we are used by God, don't be surprised when God actually uses us. So get ready and pray for your week to be very intentional this week. So it's 10 a.m. I'll give you an email. I'm shooting one out this week. If you don't get emails from us, make sure to drop your, uh, a card, a connect card into the, the bucket in the back, and I'll put you on the list. We're going to give you a little more details, but you'll have signs directing you to our... Uh, our church uh, this week, uh, this weekend. So I want you to be involved in that, and I want you to start praying now. Who can you invite to join you? All right? Makes sense? All right. Well, let's pray, and let's refocus, and get into First John. All right? God, thank you for your word, and I thank you for this series that we have just begun, and I just pray that you speak, that you have something specific for us, and I believe that. It's in your name I pray, amen, amen. All right, so we are picking up this morning in verse five, verse five. So last week we talked about John is actually talking to a group of churches here, um, and he's protecting them a little bit against false teaching, and, and that's kind of the heart behind this, this letter. He's reminding them again who Christ was, who he said he was, and why that matters. He's He's setting that stage and, and talking about who exactly Jesus was. And that brings us to verse 5 that says this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. So pause. If you remember last week, John was a little hung up. If you look at your Bible right now, verses 1 through 4, John is a little hung up on this. We have heard him. We have touched him. We were around him. He manifested to us. We touched him. John is hung up on this idea that Jesus was literal, that he really happened, he was, he was real, um, and, and John was hung up on that. And remember, this is important because John was, as we said last week, a friend of Jesus. And I don't mean it in the spiritual, we are friends of God. No, I mean literally, he was a close friend of Jesus Christ on the earth. You could make an argument that no man, no earthly man, knew him better than John. And, and this, was, this was important because John again reminds you, he says, what I'm about to tell you, Jesus told me this. Like, I got this from, from him. I heard this directly from him. And here's what he said, uh, continuing in verse 5. He says, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So verses 6 through 10, which we're going to get to, John is going to talk about us. But before he talks about us, he talks about him. Verse 5, 
is, is a bit of a theological statement. He starts with who God is, and from there he's going to lay out application. So the question for us is, what does it mean that God is light? Does it mean he's really bright? Right? Does it, does it mean he's like a lamp or a guide for us? What does that mean? It's colorful, poetic language. God is light. What is he referencing? What is John saying about God? Because listen, don't rush past it. What he is saying here about God matters because it's going to affect, it's critical to understanding what John is about to say about us next. Okay? So God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So for a moment, I want you to imagine something with me. Uh, imagine you were to go into your bedroom and flip on the light, and your light fixture, that bulb, is illuminating your room, right? You got it? Picturing it? So your room is lit up. Now, imagine you walk over to your closet door, and you know behind that door is a pitch black closet. It is pitch black. There's no lights on. It's just black in there. What happens when you open that closet door? What happens when you open it? What would happen? Would the darkness from the closet flood into your room? Would, uh, would somehow the room become darker because the darkness is, no, it's the opposite, right? When you open that door, what happens is the light of the room would flood the closet. It would flood into the closet no matter how dark, how black, how pitch black that closet was. It could not stand up to, the, to one bulb in that room. Because you open that door and light floods and illuminates the darkness. God is a lot like this. God is like this in that he is the light, he's the source of the dark, he is the source of the light, and it's impossible for darkness, right, just like that light bulb, to overcome God, the light. God is, is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, and to just unpack this a little more, I'm going to go somewhere, you don't have to follow me, uh, but just listen to this, it's, it's John again, but this is in the gospel of John, John chapter 3, verse 19, it says, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and people who love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may clear, be clearly seen that, that his works have been carried out uh, in God. So when, when, when John says God is light, John is referring to the absolute perfection of our God. The absolute perfection. No blemish, no spot, no wickedness, no bad thought. No. God is perfect. God is holy. No evil. He's perfect. He's true. He's pure. All of these words. Um, it's just like turning on the light and letting that light flood, flood the darkness. John, John says, God is light, in him there is no darkness. And he could have stopped there, but he doesn't. He adds one final oomph, and he says, there is no darkness in him at all. It's like, just to, so you know, at all, none, zero. And from this, this is the foundation. We're going to talk more about it, but this is the foundation. He starts with talking about God, and now he shifts. And let's look at verse 6. Uh, let's look at what he says about us. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So there is a lot here. A lot here. I want to talk first about one idea, though, before we move on, and it's this idea of action. If you look at this, ver- this, this text, look at all the action words. So, so you see, we walk in darkness, right? Practice the truth or do the truth. Um, walk in the light, right? There's, these are action words. These are doing words. And as we talk, okay, so last week we, we made the, 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 the statement that what you believe matters, right? What we believe matters. Well, this morning I want to add to that. What you believe matters and what you believe informs what you do. What you believe informs what you do. So our church, last year, we walked through the book of James together. This was a common theme as we walked through the book of James. And remember, theologians for centuries, and theologians are sometimes weird because they like really big words that are odd and unnecessary, but they create words, you know? So theologians for centuries have said this. They've said, Orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. This is kind of their catchphrase. They've said it for years. Orthodoxy, meaning uh, ortho, right, doxy, doctrine. So right or sound doctrine. Orthopraxy, meaning right, again, ortho, right, and praxy, practice. So in in theologian speak here, right doctrine leads to right practice. Right doctrine leads to right doing, right practice. Um, Or to say it plainly, you could say it like this. So what you believe matters, and what you believe informs what you do. What you believe will inform what you do. So in verse 6, John is turning to a really practical implication of the truth. He says, God is light, and if that is the truth, and if there's no darkness in him... And that's the truth. Now John shifts into this next idea of application. Before we go further, I want to look at one more idea, and that's the idea of fellowship. So in our text, this word fellowship appears a lot. Um, Let's be honest, this is a really churchy word, super churchy word. Um, And I think it's important that we talk about what we mean when we say fellowship. Um, Fellowship is this idea of enjoying a close relationship. So it's not like a a fellowship lunch where we talk to people and eat lunch. No, fellowship in this sense is is a deep, close, close relationship. Um, And he says, if we have fellowship with him, he says, if we we have fellowship, but what he's saying is, John is saying, if we say we have a close relationship with God, while we are in the darkness we lie and we do not practice the truth. So think about this again. Let's go back to the, the bedroom analogy. So you have your, your, your illuminated room. Right in the center is your little fixture with a light bulb. It's lighting up the entire room. All right? Follow me? John is saying, if you say you are close to the light bulb, yet you're in darkness, you're lying. You follow me? Like, if you say that you're by that light bulb that's on and illuminating the room, and you say you're close to that light bulb, but you're in complete darkness, John is saying, you are lying. Because 
By its nature, that light bulb illuminates the darkness. And in the same way, if you say you're in a close relationship with God, the light, and you look around and you are in pitch black darkness, you are lying. Because God, by his nature, is the light. And if you're in complete darkness, you're not close to him. Does that make sense? Think of it like this. Um, Close proximity to a, an illuminated light bulb will, by definition, mean you're not in darkness, okay? In the same way, close proximity to God, the ultimate light, will, by definition, mean that you are not in darkness, and that's what John puts forward here. Um, we're going to unpack this a lot as we go further, but um, if you look around and you are in complete darkness and you can't see your proverbial hand in front of your face... What John is saying, you are not in fellowship with God. You are not in fellowship with God. If we walk in on the inverse side of this, as, as John puts here, if we walk in the light, though, the light of our God, if we walk in close relationship with him, we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin. Again, there is so much here. So much here, um, but this idea of fellowship here, this idea of close relationship, as we've just seen, is twofold. One, there's a vertical relationship, right? A vertical relationship between God and man. God and man, that's a vertical relationship. John spoke about that in, in the last verse. But here, there's a horizontal relationship, and that is between man and man in the church, brother and sister. Um, so let's start with the vertical. Um, regardless of your upbringing, regardless of when you were born, where you were born, regardless of your parents, regardless of your religion, regardless of anything you come into this room with today, regardless of all of it, we all share one thing in common, and that is that we are intrinsically and instinctively longing for a vertical relationship of, of some kind. All of human history has wrestled with, how do we get that right? Every one of us share this in common, that we, that we look for something deeper, something of meaning, that we are, create, we are created to know God. And all of us wrestle with that. There's an instinctive curiosity about the divine, no matter who you are or where you come from. We long for that fellowship. And number two, we also long for relationships with each other, horizontal community, no matter how much of an introvert you are. How many are introverts? My hand's up. No matter how much of a loner you are, an introvert you, you may be, you are designed and created for relationship. You were designed and created. When God created Adam, what did he say? It's not good for that, that guy to be alone. You were created, it's built in your operating system, if you will. It's built in you It's it, for these horizontal relationships. And both the vertical and the horizontal, both built into us from the beginning, um, both of these are on both levels is through Jesus Christ alone. And John is reminding us, so in the vertical side of it, between us and God, that Jesus establishes our fellowship with God. Jesus establishes, we, we can't know God without, while rejecting the Son. Um, last week we talked about Jesus is the way, the only way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father but through him. 
Jesus establishes your vertical relationship. And horizontally, church, Jesus unites us in our fellowship. He unites us. Um, Church, we have something so beautiful in that we are a group of really diverse people. The church has always been a group of really diverse people from all walks, all races, all economics, uh, economic divisions that we stand united. That's beautiful, church. That is beautiful, and that's because Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is, think of it like this. Today, across the globe, churches are meeting. Like, just stop and think of that. Churches are meeting, and they're worshiping the same God that we worship today. And that's our family. Those are our brothers and sisters. The church is diverse, and it's beautiful, and we're founded on Jesus Jesus Christ. And I want to camp here for a moment because there's this idea that's really common in the American church, and it's gotten worse because of, of the internet, in a way, um, that all I really need is me, my Bible, I need my TV, because I can stream some of the most gifted preachers and teachers right to my television. Why in the world would I even get out? Like, I've got everything. That's, that's it, right? I mean, that's all, that's church. I can have church in my house. That's a common uh, theme that we just, Jesus, my Bible, and my, my screen. And church, this is why that is wrong. We are called to God together through Christ, and you're called into a body. You're called into a body, and, and you are actually hurting yourself when you withdraw from it. And more than that, you're hurting us when you withdraw from it. Um, let me put it like this. If you, so I'm married. My wife is awesome, all right? She's, she's great. And if you were to come up to me after the service and say, you know, Justin, we love you. We love this church. And, uh, you know, we'd love to get to know you more. Can we take you to lunch? And just to get to know you, we just love you. We love this church. And, but you know what? Um, your wife, Candace, she's terrible. Like, she is awful. I really don't care to get to know her. So if you could just come, right? If you could just come and just, just don't tell her. Like, okay, church, if you said that to me, we would not be okay. Like, I probably wouldn't show up at that lunch, right? Because, because you can't tell me you love me and you hate my bride. It's a package deal here. How often do we say that to Jesus, though? How often do we say that very same thing to Jesus? I love you, but your bride is weird. And I don't think I want to get to know her. I want to take you to lunch, leave her at home. How often is that exactly what we do? Um, It's a package deal, church. This is a package deal. The body of Christ comes with Christ. It's a package, it's a package deal. And John says, we have fellowship with each other. And listen to this, it says, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Amen. This is really important. This is really important because think about this. Walking in the light does not mean that we are perfect. 
We have no sin. We don't struggle anymore. That the church, when you come here, we're a bunch of people walking in the light. We don't have sin anymore. You know, that is not, not at all what John is saying. Walking in the light does not mean that you're completely void of sin. It means that your sin has been dealt with completely. And that we're, we're a group of people acknowledging that. Um, if you're waiting, if you're waiting to be perfect, to let people in, and to get involved in a church community, if you're waiting for that day when you have your stuff together, it will not happen. Until you see Jesus face to face, it will not, it will not happen. Um, walking in the light means that we walk together in the forgiveness through Jesus Christ of all of our sins, warts and all. Uh, let, me, let me do this. How many are sinners? I've asked this before. I want you to keep your hands up. It's going to get weird. Just keep your hands up. Um, look around. Look around. If you don't have your hand up, it's like two hands are up, you know, because it's lying right in church, right? So look around. We are not a collection of beautiful people. We're a collection of broken people who are saved by Jesus Christ. You can put your hands down now. I know that was uncomfortable. Um, and we're desperately reliant on Jesus Christ as our Savior. I want, I want to look at this. Uh, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Church, I love preaching the Bible because this really never gets, this never gets old. Listen to this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. That's really good news. It might not sound like good news, but that's really good news because it's giving you the permission to not have to act. It's giving you the permission to not have to wear pretty masks when you come together as the church. Think about that. It's good news because the Bible outs us as sinners, but in outing us, it tells us what we already knew, right? It tells us what we already know about ourselves. I know this about myself, it, and it gives us the permission to put down the act, to put down our masks and to just be broken people reliant on a beautiful Savior. That's what it does. Um, this, is a really, this is really good news. Uh, when we act, and I'll, I'll say this again, I want you to realize this. When you put on a show, when you come to church, or when you go to your community group and they say, how are you doing? And you're like, blessed, it's awesome. And when it's not, or when you have no one in your life who knows you, like, you are hurting yourself so much. More than that, you are giving the enemy so many opportunities to keep you stuck, completely stuck. It's bondage, church. Your mask is bondage. And this gives us the permission to put them down. Verse 9 is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful, meaning he's not going to leave you, walk away from you, abandon you. 
He's faithful to forgive. But one of my favorite words in this verse is the four-letter word just. He's faithful and he's just to forgive. That's a weird word, right? You don't think about like when someone does something to you that's terrible, it's not just for me to forgive, it's gracious, right? It's not just, how, why would he use just? I mean, think of it in a courtroom. If you have a convicted criminal, like guilty as charged, standing before a judge and the judge looks at him and says, you're forgiven, go. Like that's awesome for the criminal. I would not call that just, right? So how is God just? If we're sinners, how is he just to for forgive us? I'm glad you asked. Um, when Jesus died on the cross and took your sins and when he died and paid the penalty for your sins, like I want you to, to realize this, that the conviction and the penalty for your sins has been handled completely. 100%. Completely. So that when, when God looks at you, he is, through the work of Jesus Christ, just in forgiving you. Because your sins have been dealt with. So he is faithful. In church, he is just, through the work of Jesus Christ, to for forgive you. Because the penalty, the price, the filth of your sin has been handled, paid, and cleansed by Jesus Christ. Completely. Um, he is both faithful and he's just to, to cleanse you. And another really incredible word is, is this word right here, this three-letter all. All. All, that's really good news. Um, because some of us in this room are, are here, and if you are honest, you have some really heavy and shameful sin in your life right now. Some of you are here and you feel that. It's, it's weighing on your life. Let me, let me point you to this. Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Um, some of us in this room are self-righteous. Um, self-righteous, thinking that, or at least acting like we are really awesome and that God really lucked out to get us on his team. You know? He's able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, even our self-righteousness. He's able to cleanse us from that. Church, this is really really good news. Um, John is, is writing to this church saying, um, we are all sinners and all of our sins are perfectly handled through Jesus Christ. And so really, I, I have two really simple questions just as we close. Um, and the first one is this, um, do you have fellowship with him? Do you have fellowship with him? Meaning, are you walking in the light? Do you know do you know the forgiveness of your sins? Or is it something you can't even fathom and so you're not even trying? Do you know the forgiveness of your sins? Do you have fellowship with God this morning? Are you in a vertical, close relationship with God? Um, if your answer is no, no matter what your, your life looks like, no matter how black, how dark, um, I promise. And I guess it really doesn't matter if I promise. The Bible promises us, God's word promises us that no matter how black, how dark, how terrible you are, that light bulb, your darkness isn't doing anything to the light bulb. But when you open that door, that light will flood and your darkness will not overcome the light. 
uh, no matter what level of darkness that you may have. Let me put it like this. God is not intimidated by your mess. And God's not intimidated by just how dark that one is. That, I mean, ugh. he's not intimidated by that. He's not afraid by your honesty. He's not afraid of your fear. He's not afraid of your doubt. Your God is not afraid of your mess. Our Bible promises that. That we are able through through Jesus Christ to come to him and have a close relationship with him this morning. And and if if you're here and, and... and that's you. Uh, we're going to pray here in a moment. And I just want to encourage you to just respond to what God's doing in you. Just respond to what God is doing in you. Respond to what Jesus has already accomplished for you. Right? Respond to that. Come to him with all of your stuff and just ask for mercy, for grace, and for forgiveness. And, and let me remind you again, in case we forgot, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some of you have been Christians for many, many years, many, many years, and, and you're here in this room and you have so much darkness in your life right now that, that you've just been walking in it and you, you feel like you don't have, close would not describe your relationship with God right now that you feel like your vertical relationship has been made so muddy because of stuff and mess and sin. And, and I'll put it like this. Our sin and the forgiveness of our sins is meant to drive us to our Savior. But in your life, what's happened is it's muddied your relationship with Jesus. And, and you're sitting, you're, you're here today, and you just feel like, God, I don't even feel like I know you right now. I don't even feel, I don't feel you at all. I I feel so separate from you. Let me remind you again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That applies to you. It applies to you. Um, Do you have fellowship with him? Here's the, the, the second question that I want to ask is, do you have fellowship with each other? Um, one of the things that I have loved about our church, I'm talking about our church specifically, is, is that so many of us share a very similar story. I feel like in a way our church exists to, to help those who have been hurt badly by the church or by Christians. Uh, we have a lot who are who have come to our church, who have gotten connected, who you know a year or two ago would say, "No, I don't want that. That's hypocritical. That's judgmental. I want nothing to do with that." Um, that's been the story for, uh, from a lot, a lot of our church. Um, I'm grateful for that, but one of the one of the the byproducts of that. Is, is you can slip into this idea that I'm going to come to church and, and the teaching, and I'm going to go, and um, what happens is, is the hurt can, it can cause in you some defense mechanisms. Like, I don't want to go there again. I kind of like this church, and if I get to know them, I'm probably not going to like this church, and so I'm just going to come, enjoy, and go. 
that's a classic kind of, uh, for anyone who's been hurt by a church, that's just a natural response that we have in us to keep ourselves safe. I mean, you don't want to go back there, right? But that it's the way that we keep ourselves safe. Um, and you're never known. And you never know. You, you just come. And, and if God, if we're going to be the church that God created us to be, we have to invest in each other. We have to invest in each other. Other and do not hear me wrong, it will not be a fairy tale. No one in this room is going to perfectly fulfill all of your expectations about what a friend should be. And um, there are great people in this room, I'm not dogging anyone in this room, but you're not going to be anyone's savior. And, and so, if you come and you have this fairy tale, yes, you will be let down. But, but if you come with the expectation, like you know, you're broken, we already raised our hands for that. But if you saw everyone else's hand was raised, we shouldn't be surprised that sometimes there's going to be a little uh, friction and they didn't mean to say that, did they? Or why are they talking? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not promising a fairy tale when you step into a relationship with broken people, but church, it's worth it. Not only is it worth it, it is absolutely crucial and critical for your growth. And let me be selfish, just looking on a church level, it's critical for our church. All the things we talk about accomplishing for, for God in our city and seeing people come to faith and seeing people walk out their faith, um, if none of us step into this and get to know and invest into each other, if you rob the church of your gifts... That will never happen. But if we come together and we, we, we invest into each other, um, it's amazing what God can do with a group of broken people who know they're broken but who know Jesus is really good. It's amazing what, what he can do. And so my challenge is, is just to ask yourself um, how you've placed walls up to keep community out. Like, what are those walls? What are those walls that you've put in your life to keep people out, to keep community out, to keep those around you out? And, and how can you start to bring down those walls through Christ? Like, please don't hear me wrong. I'm not just saying, you know, throw yourself in, into every... I'm, what's one thing you can do? How can you bring one of those walls down? Some of us are really fortified. Bring one. And then let's work on two, you know? Uh, how, can we, how can we do that? Um, a good way to think of this is if something were to happen that, would, that was really difficult in your life, if something difficult were to happen in your life, would people in this church know? Um, would anyone in this church know how to pray for you? Uh, would they come around your need? Um, on the other side, if something really cool happened in your life, if something incredible happened in your life, would anyone know to rejoice with you? Like, when good things happen for one of us, it's contagious. It just makes our whole church feel happy and, and encouraged. That's the way it's supposed to be. But if something good were to happen in your life, would, would 
our church know how to rejoice with you. Um, if something were to happen in their life, would you know? Would you know? Would you care? Would you be there for them? Do you have fellowship with each other? Because church, we're called to fellowship, to walk in the light with God together, fellowship with him, and in fellowship with each other. In fellowship with him, with fellowship with each other. And do you have that fellowship this morning? Let me pray for us. God, there are times when your word is, is, is heavy, when your word convicts, when your word prompts, and this, this morning is one of those times in my life. I pray in a room full of people from all different backgrounds and all different places, God, I know that you are working on us this morning. This is exactly what you would have for us as a church, and so I'm, I'm grateful that, that we get to um, read your word, stand on your word, grow in your word, but God, I pray that now we don't neglect the hard work of applying your word. God, for us to be convicted by your word and to say that's great and walk out and do nothing, it's, it's, we've missed it, but God, if we truly read your word and grow in our understanding. And then what we believe now informs what we do. If we do that, there is nothing that can stand against your church. And so, God, I just, I just pray that wherever we are in, on that spectrum, for those in this room who have been Christians a long time, who have had walls up or who feel separated from God in some way. God, we confess our sins to you and we know that you are faithful, that you are just to forgive us, to restore our relationship through your son. We know that. And God, for those of us who have been Christians for a long time that have so many walls that are so thick, God, I just pray that you, through your spirit, begin to bring down some of those walls. And God, for those of us in this room, for those in this room who, who have never responded to the gospel, who are in darkness right now, God, we've heard your good message. And I just pray that what we have talked about will just sink in, that your spirit will work in us and on us and that we will turn our eyes to you. Because your word says, if we confess, you are faithful and just to forgive. And your word says that it's by the blood of Jesus, meaning, meaning, God, we stand on what you have done for us and in this moment, I just pray that we can acknowledge that and stand on that, claim that. And be a community of faith that is rallied around that good message. God, we love you. You are so good. And your word is so good. We give you glory and we pray that you help us as we leave this place to be the church scattered. In Jesus' name, amen.